Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregor. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be at De Beer. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We've had a couple of weeks off as we've eased back into the Super Rugby Finals. I'm Reg Robertson, thanks for joining us uh, as we take on the hottest topics in Australian rugby. Getting you over the gain line there, of course. Back with the A-team once again, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Mate, I'm fresh, ready to roll. Yeah, a couple of weeks off worked for us, which is good. What about you, Hugh? How are you feeling, mate? Yeah, refreshed and ready to go, Reg. Let's get stuck in. Yeah, and, and a big show for us tonight. We're not necessarily going to go by the five burning questions this week. We've we've probably got a lot of questions now because we've got a very special guest and uh, one of the big developments in Australian rugby of late. Probably one of the most, uh, from my perspective, one of the more positive uh, news stories uh, this year is uh, the appointment of Rod Kafer to the team. And, and Rod's going to join us tonight. We're going to talk through uh, what his role is and, and, and where it might lead us to Australian rugby. So, Kafer, thanks a lot for joining us. My pleasure. Um, well, let's talk, the, you know, the most obvious question. I didn't really know what to call your role specifically. Can you run us through what it is and, and, and you know, what you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. I mean, the, the role is really a high-performance-based role in the high-performance team working with Ben Whitaker, looking primarily at coaching and coaching at certainly the elite level right down to grassroots. And, you know, at its essence is really a process of trying to improve coaching in Australia. One of the areas I think we all recognise has been probably underinvested in over um, you know, a number of years has been coaching and coaching development. So it's really trying to improve coaching, try to find more ways to win more games of rugby. It's pretty simple. So, Cave, how do you how do you start doing that? I mean, does your priority have to be the Wallabies? So we and I guess that elite level Super Rugby, so we can you know get back in the winning circle and 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 boost the I guess the whole self esteem of rugby in Australia at the moment, or or can you do it concurrently with whatever support we can do from a grassroots level? Well, I think it's it's everything. It's all of those areas. I mean, the, the concept of coaching and improving players is, is something that's universal to the game. It sits at every level of the game. We, you know, the improvement in rugby is really about improving how we deliver um, philosophy of coaching, how we deliver skills coaching, and it's and it's relevant to every level. It's absolutely relevant to the, to the Wallabies. It's relevant to super rugby club, juniors, right down to the under sixes. It doesn't it, – it's, its relevance is – is universal, and that's something that I'm really keen to, to look at. How do we put what we're doing at the Wallabies, if we um, consider that to be our, our best practice, um, how do we ensure that, one, that it is best practice, and then how do we get that down to the under sixes and everything in between? And that's really important that we have a focus that's not just at the elite level but flows right down to grassroots. Fantastic, and as a, a junior coach, it's great to hear. I, I, do you have a 100-day plan for your first 100 days? Are you one of these, you know, like Trump or something? How do you start a role like this? Well, you, the first thing you do is you talk to as many people as you can who are in the pathway coaching. I mean, I coach an under-14 side. I've been around, um, you know, rugby coaching at a whole range of different levels. So I sort of get, um, through my own experience, a little bit of the challenges out there. Um, I was lucky enough to come through amateur club rugby, so I, I think I have an understanding of what it's like to have come out of that environment. Um, the, the challenge is probably um, for, for you know improving coaching in this country, and um, is not something that you can do in a hundred days. I think it's going to take almost a generation to probably see a flow-through effect of some of the strategies that we might put in place. But if you don't have a view, if you don't have, and I think, you know, it's easy to come with some short-sighted views to say, hey, let's try to attack this and see if we can get results really quickly. But we know that that's not something that that is probably going to serve us well over time. We have to be um, have an approach that's going to be long-term if, if we're going to succeed. Uh, Kate, it's Matt here. And, look, I think... Um 
there's a lot of countries that have kind of looked to kind of get stuck into this. So I spent a fair bit of time in the UK and actually did some uh, coaching uh, qualification there. And they, they'd sunk a lot of money and a lot of thinking into, you know, coaching in the grassroots. And for example, the, the, the you know, the first tier of coaching is always is focused towards kids because um, rather than, you know, learning how to coach adults when actually most of us start coaching kids, do you reckon there's stuff to learn from other countries that have, you know, really had a look at this and and uh, put some thinking into it? Learning from other countries, other codes. I mean, we're blessed in Australia with codes who've done this stuff really, really well. The AFL, with with the way their product runs, is really a process of, um, you know, a closed shop of coaches and athletes in a in a closed environment. The one thing that they can invest lots of money in is coaching and. Um, you know, they, they've got a salary cap. They can't necessarily work around those. Edges. So the area that they look to improve the most is really coaching. I think there's some great examples of um, coaching programs that have run really, really well. And that's an area that we can look at. Um, we, we, it's not about reinventing the wheel here at all. It's about actually looking through, you know, the different codes, the different countries who've done it well and and trying to learn and glean as much as we can to try to then um, be as efficient as we possibly can in the game of rugby here in Australia to 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 learn those lessons lessons and implement them well. If mate, so if you look to be you know get your critical hat on, um, you know looking at the system at the moment, what seems to be glaring to you as far as look, you know, that just needs a really good fix up, especially when it comes to sort of grassroots coaching. Sure. The the, the one thing I think most of the our coaches out there want is information and and they want access as well they they want to feel like they can access the best in the, the country and one of the things that we can do very quickly is try to give as many of our coaches access to the to the things that are going on at the elite level and and flow that information down so access to what's happening at the wallabies access to coaching ideas and thoughts is probably the easiest way I think to get a, get a flow down into into grassroots and and one of the ways that you know we're going to explore doing that will be through some of the the mentoring opportunities that we're going to provide and create for um, not just our elite coaches but our elite coaches into club coaches and club coaches into junior coaches so trying to create if you like this six degrees of separation between um you know our, our our wallaby coaches michael checker and then everyone down in the system i think that's something that's achievable i think that's something we should aspire to do and something we will be able to achieve in a, in a short space of time but that's an interesting one you say that because what would seem to be the case at the moment say for example with michael checker's uh coaching playbook is that I mean I think a lot of people would comment and say that it's kind of got sort of one way. It there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of Plan B, for example, which you know plays more for territory, maybe through a kicking game. What do we do? Does that mean that all of Australian rugby goes that way, um, or do you think that there's a way for us to kind of generate some of those other skills that you know uh, different countries like if you take like or different teams like you know the Crusaders can can switch it up and play, you know, multiple ways. What, what do we do? do? Do we go one way or, or what? The, the, the issue around, you know, we have a lot of chat in this country about kicking and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and maybe see it as this sort of juxtaposition to the way Michael Checker coaches. Now, Michael Checker, as an example, as a coach, had great success by changing the culture at the Waratahs and in the space of two seasons took them from a team where every supporter of the Waratahs would say they kicked too much prior to Michael Checker getting there. He actually moved so far to the extreme of not kicking in his first season in 2013 that that team was banned from kicking and he did it for a reason. He did it to change the way his team thought about how they could attack and then in the second year, in 2014, they were a team who all of a sudden bought in kicking as a strategy, a part of their strategy, and adjusted themselves to a point where he got the balance absolutely right because he won the tournament. And 
there's no better example than getting the balance right than being a winner. And he was able to do that. Then getting the balance right at international rugby, we saw the, the Wallabies in um, 2015 at the World Cup do very, very well with that similar strategy and get through to the final. The, the balance of international rugby and how you play um, is an ongoing process. There's no one right answer. We see teams around the world do all sorts of different things and Czechs managed to do that in a way that I think has delivered um, pretty reasonable results. They haven't been ideal results against the, the All Blacks, but they've been reasonable results elsewhere. He's still got this ongoing challenge of finding a philosophy with the Wallabies that's going to be successful against all international teams. And that's a process of developing tactically, develop, developing technically, developing skills, developing fitness, developing psychology. And it's an ongoing process. No international coach necessarily gets it right all of the time. The good ones eventually do and have a great record. And that's the process that the Wallabies are working through at the moment. I don't think there's any one fix to it. It's a multifaceted thing that you've got to get right. Mate, so just talking about... Just talking about... Whoa. I've got to be a feedback there, but... The, uh, one of the things that was obviously key, and you mentioned it just there to Checker's strategy, would be around fitness. And that was well celebrated. He brought that into the TARS. Um, it was an important thing for the Wallabies when they saw that success in the World Cup. Um, but then this year, I think he self-admitted that you know, part of the problem in those um, uh, sort of those June tests were that the team just wasn't fit enough which I think to us was kind of bewildering because, A, clearly you figure he's kind of plugged into the system and he's making visits around the country, checking out what's going on, but also, B, two of his assistant coaches, Nathan Gray and obviously Bernie Larkham, were at probably the, the two main teams that contributed the Wallabies. How does that happen? So, And is that something that you're going to be looking at is how we kind of fix that up because that would seem to be, if there was one thing you know you have to have right for the way that Checker wants the guys to play is to be fit. So for them to be turning up unfit just seems a, a, a bit crazy. Yeah, it does. And, and I can absolutely understand that. Yet in the, in the 20 years of plus of professional rugby, what we've never been able to grapple with is a concept of um, a single plan for our athletes and our rugby players that is something that we haven't ever been able to deliver from a high performance perspective and 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 people sit out there and say how come we haven't got that and what does that mean it means that for six months of the year Michael Checker gets the Wallabies and has his players under his training but for the other six months of the year he doesn't and he relies on all of the states to do that for him and that goes across not just the fitness areas but skill and all the other components and this is something that's been I think holding back um, the, the development of rugby it was the same when I played rugby back in the early days it was exactly the same you you had a you had one set of coaches for the Wallabies another set of coaches for your um, uh, super rugby team and never the twain shall meet and that still exists to this day, and it's something that holds us back um, enormously. Uh, the athletes now are finely tuned things, perhaps not like they were in my day, and I can never <laughs> attest to being a finely tuned athlete, but today they are, and they need absolute best practice. And what we've got at the moment is a system where, under our federated model, each of the unions and each of the coaching teams go out and prepare their teams in a fashion that they think is going to give them the best result um, and that may or may not be um, um, commensurate with the way Michael Checker wants his team prepared but Michael Checker and the Wallaby coaching staff can't necessarily influence that except to say hey guys I don't think you're doing the best job and I'm not going to pick your players because they're not in a way or they're not prepared in a way that's going to give me the best opportunity for a result as the Wallaby coach. That's really the only way he can influence that. And were those conversations going on? Because, look, I mean, these days, 
you know, fitness and conditioning is a real science, right? So everyone's, you know, hooked up to computers, you know, even if it was just as simple as the bleep test, but it's, it's not as simple as that anymore. You know, people are looking at VO2 maxes and all sorts of strength and all sorts of things. So it's not just a run your eye over it. You know, you can look at the data and say, look, these guys just, you know, aren't up to it or not. So are you saying that, you know, check i'm assuming would go around if he knows that this is the most important thing in his strategy he'd go around and say hey can we have a chat about how the guys are doing he'd look at it and go well they're obviously not up to it that and he'd say look god look, you know to your point have that conversation and say i don't see how you guys are going to get picked they're not up to it and those conversations happened and the super rugby coaches who included bernie larkham and nathan gray they've kind of turned around and said yeah sorry mate not that bothered well, it's it's the concept of of um, what you know. What are the consequences for a, a coach or any of the coaches and any of the Super Rugby teams who don't do that? And at the moment, there there aren't necessarily this. There there isn't necessarily there hasn't been a great way to share that information. Firstly, because you know at, at some level, and and you know this might not sound logical, and I think we'd all sit back and say it probably isn't, but. You know, there are employment agreements and employment contracts that exist um, that sometimes prevent the sharing of all of that information, which will sound really strange, but that's the way we operate here in this model. And it hasn't necessarily led to um, delivering an athlete that is necessarily best prepared for um, the Wallaby program. It might be best prepared and it might be the way that each of the state unions and super rugby teams think that they're doing the best job that they can to prepare their athletes to win on the weekend playing for the Brumbies of a force or the Rebels or whomever, but that may not necessarily result in the type of athlete that Michael Checker wants. And unfortunately, the Wallabies don't have a great deal of influence over that at times. Uh, Rod, one of the... um one of the concepts that was brought up on your appointment and probably even a little bit before was this uh, idea of a, a national coaching panel. Is, is that still on the agenda? Absolutely. It's, um, you know, we're going to be a key part. There are some certain non-negotiables in rugby that I think we'd all agree on that, that, um, that teams and players need to have if they're going to be successful. And I think that's been the same for 150 years of the game. Um, there are certain aspects that you've got to have, and if you don't have, I think teams suffer and performance suffer, and that's going to be part of the strategy that this National Coaching Advisory Panel look at and come up with ways in which we can deliver a best practice model around these non-negotiables that I think every coach and every super rugby team needs to have in order to be successful and in order to produce good quality athletes and good quality rugby players and has the um the structure of that panel been advanced at all we keep hearing names of like bob dwyer and i don't know dick marks um rod mcqueen has that been advanced at all are we likely to hear the make of that panel soon absolutely it's it's you know it's it's a it's a panel that I think is slowly taking shape. There's a there's a whole range of different contributors to it and skill sets that I think we need to look at in terms of constructing that. It's going to, I think, ensure that for a long period of time, um, an area that we haven't necessarily um, looked at um, over the course of the last 15 or 20 years when that panel got disbanded and we've gone in a whole range of different directions and this is a way that I think we can pull in the greatest, the best minds in Australian rugby, a lot of you know, former national coaches, former super rugby coaches, people who've lived and breathed coaching development in this country, get the best minds in a room and try to come up with some ways in which we can assist uh, coaching at all levels. And I guess in light of that, you talk about... Um I mean, the concepts tonight about this development pathway and particularly in Australia, we've got 
I guess at least one, and we don't know the future of Super Rugby just yet, but we've got at least one team at the moment, ostensibly the, the Rebels looking for a new coach next year. From your perspective, should we continue, you know, should we be still be developing these Australian coaches or are you open to the concept of, of international coaches or, a, a, you know, a, a, a foreign coach, um, you know, that we've had, a, I guess, Daryl Gibson at the Waratahs? Is that a good thing for Australian rugby or should we be backing the Australian talent where we can? I think fundamentally we need to provide pathways for Australian right. coaches. It's unequivocal in my mind that it's it's not to say that there, there's not great value in some of these coaches that that have, have you know come and coached here in Australia. And equally, we've got many Australian coaches coaching overseas. But but I think at our essence, we should be about producing Australian coaches coaching Australian teams. I think everybody agrees with that, and I think um, it's a it's a fundamental principle that we that we should um, explore and continue to develop and develop our own coaches because ultimately it's a, it's a part of the pathway that's critical to being successful in rugby and we've got to we've got to believe and, and got to create opportunities for coaches to continue to develop here in Australia. And so would you see yourself or, the, or Ben Whitaker or this national coaching panel ultimately having a, a fairly hefty say in, say, the appointment of Super Rugby coaches or the Australian Under-20 role? I guess that is an AOU appointment or even NRC coaching role, so we do get that pathway? Well, well I think it, it makes sense to have some collective thought and collaboration around how we approach and appoint coaches in this country. It just it, it makes sense and... And I think it's important going forward that we continue to find ways to firstly collaborate, secondly um, invest and continue to develop coaches so that they um, can be the, the, the very best of the talent worldwide um, who are coaching here as Australians in Australian teams. Yeah, OK. Um, Matt, so did you have another one there, Matt? Oh, just a final one for me, uh, Rod. You were mentioning how you know you'd come up through sort of amateur pathways. Um, I think a lot of people on our site, um, and I know a, a good mate of the podcast, uh, Juan Coat, um, you know, is firm believer that you, you get a different level of experience and a different rugby upbringing if you go through sort of this elite pathway, which seems to be kind of getting more and more selective every year, and, and the scope seems to be narrowing. That you know. We sit, you know, in the way that you get into a Super Rugby team these days, seems to be that you get plucked even further down the sort of the, the private school system, versus that, um, you know, the school of hard knocks. And um, actually, uh, like I say, Wayne Coat was, you know, watching some, you know, um, some Premier Rugby uh, recently and noticed that, you know, some of these under 20 stars who are kind of getting fast tracked in, got schooled by some of the old uh, Radiki Samos of the world. So. What's your view on that about, you know, are, are we going too far down these, you know, elite Academy pathways program. that kind of fast track these kids straight to the top? Um, look, without, you know, selection of, of players is always somewhat of a mystery. So um, how how players end up getting selected for teams is, is again, and, and identified, the, the talent identification process is a, is a whole other kettle of fish that we've got to boil at the appropriate time. But the the the, the concept of trying to um, spread the the talent pool or, or to draw on a talent pool that's as broad as possible, I think everyone in the game would say, yes, we have to do that. And can we rely on that being just a private school boy who's going to come out of this um, you know, GPS pathway and develop into being a great wallaby. We we know that the, that's going to limit our our, our talent um, even further. So we have to find ways to expand the net and find those little nuggets of gold that exist out there that that we may not have seen otherwise. So we've absolutely got to find ways to improve that talent identification. We've got to improve coaching. We've got to improve coaching in the system so that those coaches who are coaching in non what we describe as and you know this is not the appropriate term but non-traditional rugby areas can develop rugby players who who um and develop themselves as a coach firstly so that they can then coach at 
a, a, a player to then become, you know, either a future Wallaby, a future Wallaroo, a future Olympian as our three aspirational pathways we have in the game and develop them um, to a level that, that all of a sudden they're going to come through. And I think we all recognise that that needs to happen. The mechanism of doing it is really about giving the opportunity for those coaches who are operating in these non-traditional areas the best chance of um, continuing to develop their players so that we can see that value. It's not going to happen in a short space of time, but you know, with a medium-term outlook of two, three, four, five years, we should continue to see more players coming out of other places, not just the, the, those traditional private school pathways. That's great, Kate. Look, I know you've got a very important appointment with Westeros and the Iron Throne, so we'll let you go in a sec. But have you, how hands-on are you at the moment with the Wallabies? I, I guess, can you give us any hope as Wallaby fans to the upcoming rugby championship by any experience you've had the last couple of weeks, I guess, with their, with their training sessions and so on? Look, I'm, I'm not hands-on at all with the Wallabies, but, but like all of us, I'm an absolute die-hard um, former Wallaby who would love to see what's really important to me is that we get back to focusing in on winning and winning more often, winning more often at the Wallaby level, winning more often at Super Rugby, at Sevens, at Wallaroos, at Under 20s, at Club Rugby. I don't care. We've got to win more. And that's really, really fundamental to the way I look at it. I want to turn up every day to work and say, what have I done today to contribute to? us winning more games of rugby at any level. And that's how I'm going to judge myself and my ability to deliver a result for Australian rugby. Uh, that's great. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us, mate, and giving a bit of that insight. Uh, you know, as genuine rugby fans, it's, it's great to hear some of those messaging. We we watch with interest and we, we hope we can see uh, an improved Wallaby performance in the rugby championship. Championship, but looking forward to that sort of further development from top to bottom over the next couple of years. It's it's vital for the future of the sport, so it's great to see it. Um, I guess uh, some steps being taken in the right direction. Couldn't agree more. I'm you know delighted to have an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, it's easy to stand on the outside and be a critic. The life of a critic's um, a very simple one. I want to try to you know get back in the tent, make a bit of a difference, and see if I can. If I can't, no problems. But I'm going to give it a red hot crack. Good on right, you, Kate. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. See ya. All right. The oh, I reckon we just keep. I reckon we just keep going, guys. Let's yeah. plow on. Let's keep yeah. going. Happy with that. What do you, what do you think of that, Hugh? You, um, any takeaways there? What, what's your feeling on Kafe, his role, and and you know what he's trying to achieve? Well, I think actually, actually. What he said at the end there was was what resonated actually that that the idea that you know it's easy for us to us three being all we do is, is we are critics but um yeah that the life of a, a critic is easily and uh, is easy but he he wanted to um to get stuck in and um and actually you know get his hands dirty and make a difference himself and I mean that's it's it's absolutely laudable that he's doing that because um you know I, I, it's um. It's one thing for us all to sit back and 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 ex, as an ex player, a prominent ex player, and a media personality, he, you know, could sit back and uh, continue to to um to um sort of criticise and and make uh, some salient points from the sidelines, but at the same time, getting in there and actually sort of trying to fix things himself is 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 another thing entirely. So look, I th- I think he made all the right noises there, Reg. I, you know, it seems seems to me that he's um got some pretty good ideas, and let's hope he can get some success. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, you kind of want the quick fix, but at the same level, I'm heartened, you know, that he acknowledges it's going to take a while. You know, it, you know, if we're going to make significant change and 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 proper, real, long-term change, it, it is going to have to build a little while. So, um, you know, we're going to have to be a little bit patient with that. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, yeah, I like all that. I guess you know, this wouldn't be a podcast if I wasn't going to be Inter- me, yeah. a Debbie Downer. Um, but no, look, if it's the side of me that just says, you know, just that it feels a little bit like one of those international searches that maybe didn't get outside the car park. <laughs> yeah, I was um, going to ask that, mate. That, that was legitimately one of my questions about the car park searches. But I guess, you know, and, and his position is very much like that. And 
you know, it came back to that question about the coaches. It's, it's um, he, you know, they want to develop a, a, a development path. Doesn't answer the question why well, he's the man to do it. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it would have been like the thing that would have probably blown my socks off. But then I wouldn't have known the person. Um, just would have been, um, you know, you know, if they announced some person who's basically an absolute expert in coaching, maybe not even in rugby, but just, you know how you put a coaching pathway together and, you know, and the skills and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, because isn't that what you're looking for? You're looking for somebody, you know, who, I don't you know, know. who, who coaches the coaches or do you need somebody who knows everybody and everyone's going to listen to him because he was a wallaby? And obviously, Cave was a good one and a bright guy. I, I don't know. What are, you, what are you looking to get in? I don't know. Does, does that person exist? I mean, it's it's the fairly unique model, Australian rugby. Well, sporting bodies as it is, you know, sport in Australia is, is fairly unique. It's not the US where you've got, you know, the college and the professional system. Um, you, you know, it, it's not even New Zealand the way it is at the moment. So it's it's a bit of a unique structure. So, you know, can you bring an AFL guy to do that development? I know the, the cricketers, uh, sorry, uh, ARU actually brought in a, um, a guy from Cricket Australia who had a fair bit to do with their... I guess pathways and community programs a couple of years ago, and he's sort of still building on that. So it's it's no it's no right answer, but um, you know, I, you I need someone with a bit of a profile in the well, game. I think it helps that when you know if he walked into a local club, um, people would listen automatically. He's got a respect that comes with his status as a wallaby, but also as a as a um, as a um, media personality and and. You know, someone that he, you know, as a, as an analyst, comes across as a very intelligent person. So, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, Matt. That that um, you know, what's his what's his background in in doing this sort of job? And it's probably not one. But um, I I think he's he's starting ahead of many, you know, where where a lot of people would, in the sense that I think he's got the respect of the rugby community, and and he's a guy that people will sit up and listen to, regardless of um of what he says. So. I suppose we, we should judge him on judge him on the results and um you know get him get him back in, in a hundred days time and uh, see if he can uh, make good on those promises. Yeah, he's just sent us a message on Skype saying he'll be back in a hundred days to, to report back, so that'll be great. I think that's well worth doing. Yeah. Um. All right, lads. Look, like we said, the, the, the format tonight's a little bit looser because we just we didn't want to constrict ourselves with Kafer there. We'd great opportunity to have him, I don't know, for half an hour or so there. So, um, without another burning question, I guess what we should jump on to is the Super Rugby Finals, guys. So, um, you know, as we probably anticipated, no Aussies involved, but still a, a, an interesting uh, final we've got ahead of us with the Lions and the Crusaders. Crusaders travelling over to South Africa to take on the Lions after the Lions defeating the Hurricanes and a Crusaders defeating the Chiefs. Um, uh, Matt, a fair result, I guess, and in, in, in from a grand final perspective, is to, uh, from my perspective, the the two best teams. What do you feel? Yeah, well, look, I I, I grabbed a little bit of the uh, Crusaders game on the Saturday night, um, and then I drank some amnesia lotion, uh, potion um, <laughs> afterwards. Uh, I can't I can't give you too much detail on that, but I caught up on most of the Lions game on Sunday, and even though you could be a bit sceptical because I guess they didn't actually face a New Zealand team until that match. Um, you know, geez, what they did, what the number they did on the Hurricanes was, was special. Um, I think they were like, you know, 20 to 10 down at half time or something and came back yep. to win 40 something, 20, you know, 29 or something. Um, just unbelievable. They played, played fantastic rugby, um, you know, sort of real 15 man, stuff they've got you know massive territorial ability at the back Crombrink's boot is unbelievable like regularly clearing touch from 22 to 22 um but then and they've got great kick chase all those things you expect in south africans and of course they've got massive sort of baby eating pack um but then they can all offload you know like like a kiwi team it's it's unbelievable um huge skill set uh, love to fling it around. Yanchi's at 10 has really come into his own. If if these guys, if they just fronted those guys up at Springboks, I, we'd really, really have to worry um, about how many tests the Wallabies are going to win. So, look, I, I think they definitely deserve to be there. Um, and so it's going to be fa- fascinating, especially playing against a Crusaders team. With how many games did they actually lose all season? Did did just they? The just, just the one, yeah, towards the end of the season there, yeah. 
I mean, absolutely unbelievable. So it's a real clash of the titans. But I, I can't believe what um, is it Ackerman, the the coach, has done at the Lions yeah. there. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of what would have been no names only a few years ago. Like it's not like they're star-studded, full of the uh, Saffers, most of whom seem to be playing in Europe now. Um, it's a lot of you know kids that he's brought through. Yanchies is probably one of the older or the more experienced heads. Um, you know, just quite amazing. It, it is, isn't it? And in oh, considering think, yeah. the way that the Lions have been playing, that after all of the um, superlatives that we've bestowed upon the New Zealand Conference this year, that, that, that mm. you know, I'd say, say the Lions are probably favourites for the title now. And, and, um, and you know, it's it's um, they've been a dominant conference and winning so many games, but they're not going to hold the trophy at the end of it, potentially, which is which is quite staggering to think about, that, considering what we've seen as Aussie fans this year is just um, Kiwi team after Kiwi team um, winning games and playing great rugby. Yeah, and it was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, got, I don't know if you guys actually saw it or not, but um, there was what was out of New Zealand hailing it as a you know controversial decision where Bowden Barrett yeah. in the second half, just as the Lions were kind of getting into their stride, hot and attack, had gone the full length of the field with a breakout um, and Bowden Barrett basically rolled on the wrong side of a tackle and then basically dragged the ball out of the ruck um, and, and then was surprised when he got yellow carded. And all of New Zealand's up in arms about it. Like, you know, it's, you know, with... Um, yeah, yucca paper as the as the ref, and I was like, it was it was illogical. Even even uh, Paul Cully in uh, being printed in the SMH today, um, it's so funny. He was trying to do the, and I and I respect his opinion. I think he's one of the better writers around. But you know, he was trying to do it. Those it, it was just such a pity that there had to be a question mark left over the match um, with Yakko Piper's yellow carding, which was probably the highest roading of a of a kiwi whinge that i'd seen for a while but you know it was like that was such a dead set yellow it was ridiculous yeah indeed and, and gosh you mentioned um ackerman as coach of the lines but scotty robinson's done a great job for the crusaders as well and and obviously there's a there's a you know a cultural whatever you want to say there and they've got a damn good pack i'd question that you know i don't think their back line's anywhere as good on paper at least as it has been in the past and Robinson's one of those guys. You talk about pathways on the back of discussion with Rod Kafer. You, you talk. This guy literally came through the club program in New Zealand. Obviously a former All Black, but he's he's come through under 19s at club level. Um, worked his way up. I think he was assistant coach at Canterbury Rugby for all five years. Um, then he then he got the head gig at Canterbury for a couple of years. Um, they won on the ITM. Then he got the, I think, the New Zealand under-20s team for a couple of years. I think at least one time they won the, the championship there. And, and then he's been presided to the, uh, promoted to the Crusaders. And this is his first year. And he's had, uh, other than the, the one loss, won every game and, and is now in the grand final. Major ask, um, obviously, over in South Africa. But uh, Scotty Robinson's one of the, the good guys. He's a, And, you know, it's great to see that development through. And, and he'll be, you know, he'll progress that. Uh, that opportunity further, and who knows, all that coach before we know it, if um, well, someone else doesn't get their hands on them. Well, with one of the things that these two coaches have, have taught us this year, and I guess last year as well, is that if there's a obviously a common thread to coaching success there, is that you absolutely look like a total lunatic. Because <laughs> both of them, him and Asimov, look like they, they look like axe murderers. I mean, you know, you'd, 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 you would, you'd run through a wall for both of them, wouldn't you? <laughs> and, and and he's a bit quirky, Scott Robinson. I remember, and this is a, a throwback too, where back in that, um, after the Christchurch uh, uh, earthquake and there was that uh, festival game out on that Ballymore between the old Aussies versus the old All Blacks. And Timsey, Mr. Tims and I went in and did a little video session for Green and Gold Rugby back in the day when we thought we might even have a video, regular video podcast or whatever you call it. Um, and we interviewed Scott Robinson there, and he's a bit of a, a loose cannon, a bit of a loon, but he's a, a great guy, genuine uh, enthusiasm for the game. So um, uh, a great passion, so great to see him succeed. Um, all right, tips, what do you reckon, Matt? Are you, you know, from your sound uh, watching of the, the teams over the years, over the season, who do you think will come well, out well, on top? Well, Lions, yeah, well, having, well, having seen the Lions play for about two halves of rugby, um, in, the, in the last season, I feel like I'm an, an expert. Look, I just think anyone going to Joburg, um, that's that's tough. I mean, you know, and it's not just the fitness; it's 
you know, all the little things like, um, you know, being able to judge your kicks and all the rest of it because of altitude and all the rest of it. Um, you've got to say the lines are there. And what you notice, for example, in that match on, on the weekend, the lines just come back, came back so strongly in that last sort of 20 minutes, half an hour when, you know, Hurricane's legs must have been absolutely sapped. And because the and the and the lions they've got such a big pack who are so dynamic, you know, just having to put up with that for, you know, sixty minutes at altitude, I think it's going to tire anyone out. So, um, but if there was a team to give it a crack, it'd be the Crusaders. But I, I still just think that Lions team, and I think this is Ackerman's last season coaching the Lions. So I think there's an extra special level of nut nutcase them going on there that um, I think the Lions are going to be hard to keep down. All right, you, Hugh, what's your reading, mate? Well, far be it for me to comment on the nutcase-dom of either side. Great <laughs> word there, Matt. Um, it, it, look, I, I, I think um, this is actually going to be a really good final, and, and I, I, I'm not going to stay up to watch it overnight, but I think I'll certainly try and record it and watch it the next day because both sides really entertaining footy and the Lions have, uh, are a high-scoring side, and I expect this to be a high-scoring encounter. Um, look... My gut is actually with the Crusaders. I think they've been the best team this year, and and often with Super Rugby, we we, we tend to overthink it. Um, and mostly, it is just the best team that year that gets rewarded in the final. That the statistic is, I think only once has a team won outside of its continent um, or its country, as it were. Um, and I think that was the Crusaders in Canberra one on one occasion. Yeah, I was going to say Canberra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's the only time that's actually happened. So I think only four uh, titles have been won away from home, and only one's been won outside the country. So if they were to do it, it would be a, it would be um, a huge achievement to the Crusaders. So look, I think I'm going to tip them in a close one, but um, certainly wouldn't begrudge the Lions getting having success after the last two years, the success they've had over the last two seasons. Yeah, yeah, I think the Lions will take it to uh so uh, not much more to add to that I, I think just that home ground advantage adds it but i think it's fantastic um both these teams i think they highly deserve it. they played great rugby this year and been far and away the most consistent teams um you know obviously that there's the proviso there with the lines and the number of kiwi teams have played but that's the conference that's what they've done that's that's who they've been in so uh, they get another chance to prove themselves this weekend and i reckon they'll be up for it they've got a pretty awesome bench too, some good names on the bench as well so we'll see how that fares um Guys, you know, almost pretty much wrapped up, but I guess the one bit of big news this week past was uh, the Steve Moore announcement, um, uh, stepping down from the Wallabies at the end of this season, which I assume it means after the rugby championship. I can't remember if that includes uh, the tour as well, but uh, and then one more year for the Reds at least. Um, but but that's it. Was uh, yeah, huge a surprise from your perspective. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, Reg, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I, it did shock me, but then as soon as I saw the announcement, it made all the sense in the world. Um, you know, we've been talking for a couple of years, it seems now, probably since the World Cup, about Stephen Moore's form and how he's certainly looking, he's not the man he used to be. And this year, it seems like it's um, his decline has is, is, is continued. Um, and I think someone put it, put it pretty... Um, in a pretty good way on Twitter, saying it's a bit like the beloved family, old family dog um, dropping mm. dead the day before the uh, the vet uh, appointment was booked. Um, because... <laughs> what a charming analogy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's that sort of a thing. I mean, dead dog. <laughs> hold, hold you I mean, look, I love, I, I certainly have all the respect and admiration for Stephen Moore in the world. I th- but, and, and his achievements in the Wallaby colours can't be disputed. But you've got to think that, um, you know, I think even he's probably seen the writing on the wall. The, the question for Michael Checker is, and, and is, I mean, after he's made the pretty tough decision on a guy like Scott Fardy not to pick him, I mean, does does Checker pick Stephen Moore, given the precedent? I mean, he's not being around, not hanging around next year. We've got some young players. I mean, it's it'll it'll be it'll be an interesting decision to see if Checker, you know, respects the sentimental... Um, the sentimental character in Stephen Moore and what everyone wanting to have a, see him have a send off and actually doing what's best for the team in the long term. No, I don't. I don't think he's our man. I think I'd be starting to Tafu and hoping to follow Latu's back fit. But um, I, I really commend um, 
the what is it, selflessness of Stephen Moore on this one. I, you know, you're right. It might be a year overdue. I think he. We've all seen him struggle this year. He's had a couple of moments for the Reds where he's been impressive, but he's not the player he was. And he, and as Matt's pointed out for a while, he he looks on the field sometimes just uh, I don't know, completely out of his depth. I hate to say, but. Uh, I really got to commend a guy the, uh, for him to sort of stand up and acknowledge that himself and, and, and make that decision. Another year for the Reds, that's you know curious, but I guess you know there's a lot of question marks about how Andrew Reddy's coped things and, and Murphy's still quite young. So another year mentoring those guys ain't such a bad thing. Did he give any kind of real reason behind it? Was it kind of personal reasons or physical? Or I think it's physical. Uh, I think mate, his wife wants him to yeah. keep playing. yeah. I think right. I think the fact that they're just about to enter the hardest um, fitness session, uh, fitness campaign they would have had for a year, or so might have had a factor a factor too, uh, as well. Just you know, that's when you really realise how hard your body is um, coping with it all. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bit of news, I guess, is out of the west is the whole um, uh, Twiggy Forest scenario. Um, that's right, taking over. Yeah. yeah. There's so many developments. That last force game, he, he sort of came out onto the field and, and presented that uh, he was right behind the boys. But then the latest um, latest development today, I, I haven't quite got my head around it, but he's offering interest-free loans to anyone that can't afford to um, help donate to the force. And then when they pay back those loans, they're actually paying it back to Western Australian rugby. So it's almost a, a double dip for Western Australian rugby. It's um, it's uh, it's an interesting scenario. What's good? Uh, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a pretty left field, isn't it? Um, I think what's pretty interesting though is that I I don't know how big a promise it is, and that they've already got a whole bunch in the bag, right? So I think haven't they already yeah. got four thousand people? But if these people not paid yet or something, is it was were they just pledges? Um, and and they haven't actually dipped into their pockets, so theoretically they could take hold of this. Yeah, I, I think he was offering more for anyone who hasn't been able to afford to um, right. to, to to join up to pay. Um, he was offering to give them interest-free loans. Yeah, look. Anyway, it's you know great that anyone wants to put basically their their hand in their own pocket for for rugby anywhere in Australia. That's brilliant. Um, certainly creates a bit of a headache for yeah, the ARU as they enter uh, this whole. You know, thing where I think they're going to arbitration now, basically against the force to obviously try and push them out. So um, I guess that means that, that that whole deal is done. But the AU's kind of basically said, you know, which we all knew, however months, many months ago it was that that was all kind of supposed to be lined up, um, and it clearly wasn't. So, uh, but so let's say that they do cut them. Um, does this all depend? I mean, can could the could, could the Western Force, if you know, if he says, "Look, I'm willing to fund a, you know, professional rugby team," could they play in some other competition? Um, you know, from there, I don't know whether it'd be the Curry Cup or, you know, ITM or I don't know, you know, no. your Pro Twelve. <laughs> yeah, it's Pro Twelve, the, the J League or whatever the you know Japanese <laughs> rugby. I don't know. I don't know, mate. I, it's I don't think anyone's thinking that at the moment. I think, you know, the Force. Uh, there's a there's a bit of peak headedness and I guess that's what you need at the moment suggesting that they, there's, you know, they expect to be in Super Rugby next year I, I, I can't understand how it will all work from Sanzar's perspective and this is where you've got those disparate parties Sanzar's perspective, it's a 15 team competition South Africa have got, got rid of there too and you know, there's talk that there's a few more want to follow them but um, you know, what happens if we're legally bound to the force and we're legally bound to the rebels, I, I don't get it I don't understand where it goes well, and what? And when's the cutoff? When does Sanzar need to know and make a call on this stuff? I mean, it's there's, not, a, there's, there's a draw out there now. All the teams have a draw now. I know that for a fact. I think it's with four Australian teams. But you know, it's with four Australian teams. But there's a difference between flying to, as you know, flying to Melbourne and, and flying to Perth to South Africa. There's a lot of logistics around that. But um, I think there's a presentation. I believe I read something. The ARU are due to present to Sanzar, whether with it's with a definitive statement or at least with an update uh, towards the end of the first week of August. Well, it could be fascinating. I mean, you know, you've seen almost kind of crazier things in sport at the moment with what's going on with 
cricket, for example. But I guess, I mean, if, if you don't schedule the matches, that the Western Force just can't turn up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, sorry, guys, we just haven't. Uh, you, got, yeah, you can't make a schedule match for you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know where you get to in terms of a full standoff. If, well, if Sansa said, "Sorry, guys, you've only got four teams. That's it." Going back to Twiggy Forest, I mean, the solution is so simple, though. I don't know why he doesn't see it. He just has to buy the rebels. I mean, that's the easy answer to this whole problem. <laughs> you know, he goes and buys the rebels, and this whole thing's ended. He can wrap them up because they own because he owns them, and yeah, he has to pocket a six million dollar loss. But I mean, it seems like that's money better spent than pouring it into a Western Force team that's probably gonna well it looks yeah. like it's gonna be on the chopping block. Um, it's yeah. quite remarkable. But I mean, the, it's interesting looking at that. You know, Reg, now that South Africa have found a home for the cheaters and the kings in the um in the Pro 12 or whatever it is um, up in yep. the Northern Hemisphere, you just wonder if this is the way that we're going to be going in future. Yeah. That if the success, yeah. if these two teams find some sort of success, um, the time zones are more suitable. The com- you know, the travel seems to be pretty similar to what it is now. Um, and they probably will have some degree of success up there. You, you just wonder if you might see, that, you know, and, and we know that the Trans-Tasman, the barriers to the Trans-Tasman comp has been New Zealand, hasn't been um, anyone else. But, mm. um, you know, if, if I wonder if it might force the New Zealanders' hands because the South Africans might want to go up north and follow yeah. the success of what um, what um, the Cheetahs and the, the Kings have, have become. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a, a reports the other day that Sansa approached Fiji about a... a uh, being part of Super Rugby in 2020. So, mate, the, the model's got to be looked at, and the only way you could do that is if you're cutting teams from South Africa or something. Or, yeah, you're losing teams elsewhere. So, yeah, I think I think there's um, there's change in the wind. Um, all right, lads, any other big news you want to talk about? I think that covered most of it. We had the NRC draw, but we'll get into that as we get closer. we got the Wallabies uh, coming up against the All Blacks soon enough. Um but uh, we might get our mojo back with this podcast, getting back weekly pretty soon, don't you reckon? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had a nice little mid- <laughs> we've had a nice little mid-season break here. I think we're ready to probably ramp up for the international season and, and beyond. Yeah, there's going to be plenty yeah, of whaling, whaling and gnashing of teeth to happen when that starts. My God. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a little known fact that we're also caught under the Rupert's collective bargaining agreement. We must have two weeks break. Uh, after the end of the Super Rugby season. So uh, that explains our absence the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's um, the, only, but... well, the world's only collective bargain agreement where we have no salary. <laughs> no. Yeah. We, we also don't, we don't share fitness data either, um, which is – so that's that's similar. Yeah. We're currently, currently – currently, thank God. We're currently uh, uh, negotiating with the owners of Green and Gold Rugby for a, uh, a profit-sharing um, uh, oh. agreement or two. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> You've already got it. <laughs> you, you guys are ready to pay in, are you? <laughs> um, look, guys, look, I hope everyone's getting out there and enjoying their club rugby at the moment. I know in Brisbane it's getting close to finals. I know Sydney, it's going to be back to North Sydney again uh, this year. Matt, you'll be happy with that decision, the grand final? Yeah, I, yeah, I could find my way up there for sure. Excellent. Club rugby in Brisbane is looking great. I was at a game. And the other week, Sunny Bank versus Jeeps, which is just fantastic. Probably one of the best games of rugby I've seen this year. So uh, we encourage everyone across the country to get out there to uh, get amongst your uh, your club rugby as they all uh, culminate in finals soon enough. Um, and we might delve into that in, in future podcasts as the final series gets close. But uh, Matt and Hugh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Good one, Reg. Cheers, guys. To our listeners, we'll catch you next week.